I'm very, very glad to be here, Sydney. So if you think back, how many of you have seen the I Love Lucy television show? Yeah. How many of you really, really liked the I Love Lucy television show? Yeah. And I would add my wife, Sheila, to that group. Because I didn't grow up really liking the I Love Lucy television show. My, my parents were teenagers when they had me, so they always worked two to three jobs. So we didn't really have a ton of time for TV. And plus, back then, TV, and this will shock some of you, TV had three channels. It came on in the morning at about 6 o'clock, and it went off about midnight. And they would play the Star Spangled Banner, and you would stand, and, and, then, the, and then it would be snow. I, I don't mean like, you know, like, like Switzerland snow. I mean just like, you know, just white static. Yeah, exactly. Which was fantastic because you could fall asleep with that sound. I mean, it was just great. So I never really grew up watching that, but my wife did. So when we got married, and then when we got cable, you see, back when there were three channels, you know, that was a child, that was a teenager's job. That was a child's job. I mean, the goal was, you know, when your dad wanted a different channel, he would say to the kids, get up and go change the channel. I mean, you know, the little guys were the channel changers. If you were the littlest one, and then you would have to remember it was a round dial, and you would have to turn it and dial it in. Remember rabbit ears? Right? So when I got married, Sheila said, wow, we have cable, and we can watch I Love Lucy. I'd never really seen it. I mean, I knew who she was, of course, growing up. You hear her name. In fact, the TV Guide said Lucille Ball, one of the most popular people ever on television. She won every award you can win on television. She won the Presidential Medal of Honor, which is pretty amazing when you think about it for somebody who was on TV. So, and Sheila had already seen them all, but for some odd reason, she's one of the, get this, 40 million Americans still watch that show every year. 40 million Americans. And so, because I love history, and, and if you really look at the idea, history, if you hyphenate it, is about a story. His story. And so because I love history and I love stories, I went back and I looked to see that the I Love Lucy television show was really based on some incredibly sad realities. Did you know that TV show started because their marriage was failing? They really were married. She'd already filed for divorce, and she said, I'm done with you. I'm done with your alcoholism. I'm done with a different girl every week. I'm done with you. And see, they had met through entertainment. She had come from New York. She had met him in Hollywood. She'd been in entertainment about 10 years. He'd been in entertainment longer. And when they met, boom, it was chemistry. I mean, the day they met, he remembers on, you know, I saw an interview as I was doing some more research when he was right before his death. They said, when you met Lucy, do you remember that day? He said, I remember what she was wearing. I mean, now, there are a lot of guys when they meet, you know, the, the girl and they really, they, they didn't really maybe notice what she was wearing. <laughs> they don't remember that. They just remember, wow, baby. But they don't remember, but he remembered the kind of pants that she was wearing. I mean, he remembered everything about her. They had great chemistry but, but to some of you who've maybe, maybe been in school and, and mixed chemistry, this chemical with that chemical, can chemistry get dangerous? When I was in 11th grade, Sydney, you'll, you know, because we met through school, when I was in 11th grade, I was responsible for having the fire department called because in 11th grade chemistry, we were, I had a beaker full of, you know, substances, 
And the idea was, it was my brilliant idea, I was doing it as a group project with a buddy of mine, and the idea was, we'll just plug an extension cord in the wall, I got a pair of wire snippers, cut the other end, got a beaker, got two bare wires, why are some of you laughing? (laughs) Two bare wires plugged into the wall at our school, and then it was the idea to see which different substances inside that beaker would conduct electricity. Now, remember in Ghostbusters where they say, don't cross the streams, right? We cross the streams. And it made this really odd sound. Now, thank God I'm still here alive. And then all of a sudden, the lights, fluorescent lights just like this, I mean, you know, the lights went And then it made a horrible noise outside. Because apparently when transformers pop, it's like watching fireworks, I guess. And, and, and it got real dark. I would love to tell you that I got a good grade in chemistry that year, but in reality, I will tell you that I repeated chemistry that year. (laughs) Well, Lucy and Ricky had chemistry. I mean, with chemistry, they had fireworks. I mean, they really, when they were together, when it was good, baby, it was really good, and when it was bad, it was awful. And so by 1950, she said, filed for divorce, done with you, no more, no more. No more. You had your second chance 500 chances ago. She filed for divorce. He said, what would it take? The new technology of television had come out. She'd been a big movie star. He really was a band leader. And he came up with the idea, and she agreed, if we did this new thing called television, if we did a show and it was based around you, and it was based around how much we love each other, Would you not divorce me if we tried this? And she said, okay. The television show I Love Lucy started in 1951. It ran until 1957. It was the most popular show on television. I mean, many people can remember, you know, when when little Ricky was born on the show, she had a cesarean so that way, she had the baby on the exact same day that the show said that she had a baby. I mean, it, was, it, it, it really redefined television. At one time, Desilu Productions had over 500 employees. It became incredibly popular, incredibly successful. And the show that kind of made them stay together didn't fix the train wreck part of their relationship. You know, because if you throw incredible money, and they had incredible money at that point in time, if you throw incredible money on top of a train wreck, let me say it differently. If you throw a lot, if you throw a lot more gasoline on a fire, what, what happens? You, you'll burn your eyebrows off. <laughs> My dad was working up in Kentucky once, and he said there was a big pile of brush, and I was up, and he said, son, why don't you just go ahead, there's some, there's some diesel fuel, and just, you know, just, you know, just clear that brush out. I mean, it was huge. It was, you know, taller than the roof, just a big old pile. They'd been bulldozing, and and I thought, well, if, you know, diesel fuel, I mean, that's going to take me all day. But there was regular gasoline over there in a five-gallon can, and I thought, that's going to, you know, because, I, I mean, I did start with what my daddy said. I love my dad. I put the diesel, but it was just burning real slow, so I put regular gas on a burning fire. And you know what? It burns faster. <laughs> it burned real fast. In fact, the flame, I'll never forget, came right up to the gas can as I threw it. I mean, it was like, oh, my. And it made this big fireball, and it singed all of my eyebrows off and my hair. I mean, I had more then, but you get enough chemistry. You pour fire 
on something that's already smoldering, I mean, you pour gasoline on it, it doesn't fix it. And yet for Lucy and Ricky, they had now, they were the most popular couple, not just in the U.S., but in the world. They were the first power couple in entertainment. They had money, they had power, they had fame, they had multiple houses, they had cars, yachts, you name it, they had it. But guess what? If you, if you have a train wreck, if you just have bad chemistry, pouring more stuff, it just makes a bigger fire. The sad reality, after the TV show stopped because CBS was trying to save some money, they said, well, could we hire the two of you? We know you're going to get a divorce, but would you do the, the Lucy Desi comedy hour? And if you've ever watched those old shows on Nick at Night, you know that there's the, the magic's gone. Because at that point in time, it was just a job, just a way to make a buck. The last show was taped. She already had divorce papers set. They divorced two months after the last taping. Train wreck. This morning, I'm talking to you about train wrecks, roommates, real relationships. You see, in real life, Lucy and Desi were a train wreck. Incredible chemistry. Incredible fireworks, incredible crash. On television, it looked like a real relationship, but in real life, not, not so much. But do you remember Fred and Ethel? Remember, he, he, I mean, that was like the other couple, you know, that was their best buds, and they traveled with, if you know the show. I would call Fred and Ethel like, like roommates. I don't even remember, I mean, again, my wife is addicted to this show. Uh, I've tried to put her in rehab for I Love Lucy rehab because she watches it so much. You know, it's like, you know, when do we drink the Kool-Aid so I don't have to watch this show again? But Fred and Ethel were like roommates. I don't think they ever hugged, much less kissed. You see, roommate relationships, it's just there. Everybody does their job. Everybody does what they're supposed to. There's no magic. There's no spark. It's wet wood. You couldn't even catch it on fire. So a real relationship, a real relationship, it has rough spots. It's not pretty like a TV show. In fact, one of my greatest memories when I was a student at Liberty University in, in the central mountains of the Blue Ridge part of Virginia, I had an opportunity to be able to go up and meet the real Mrs. Walton. How many of you remember the Walton's TV show? That was a real show based on a family in a, in a little town called Schuyler, Virginia. Schuyler, Virginia is about as big as this room. I mean, it was just a little town of literally about 60 people. And they said, you know, that's only about a half an hour from, from Liberty. And I went, you're kidding. Wow, I can't wait. And so I, I went with a friend, and we found Ike Godsey's store. I mean, and an Ike Godsey's store, you know, we, we, we ordered RC Cola Moon Pie, Right? Because if you're at Ike's store, that's what you want. And while we were there at the store, the girl behind the counter said, well, you know, the real Mrs. Walton, actually Doris Hamner, because Earl Hamner wrote the series called The Homecoming. It became so popular in the late 1970s that, that the TV show The Waltons was born. And, 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 and the girl said, the real Mrs. Walton just lives over in that house. You could have thrown a baseball. I mean, it was that close. I said, you're kidding. And she went, no. And she loves visitors. I said, no way. Well, I'm not that shy of a person. So, so I, you know, I went over, knocked on the door and said, introduced myself. Mrs. Hamner, I'm Dwight Bain. I'm studying to be a Christian counselor. I'm from Florida. And, and, and I would love to just ask you some questions about the secret that made your family so famous and so popular. 
And she said, young man, I love it when people call me young. I mean, just even thinking back, it's, she said, young man, there's no secret. We have no secret to our family. I said, well, ma'am, not, not to disagree with you, but I mean, the TV show Waltons was still on then. I said, all of America stops on Thursday nights to watch what happened to your family. I know there's a secret. I'm just trying to figure it out. And, and she said, there's no secret, but you're welcome. If you'd like, I'll get you a, a glass of iced tea and we can sit and chat. And one of my fondest memories, Sid was sitting on the front porch in a swing of the real Mrs. Walton, Doris Hamner, and having a conversation on a, on a spring afternoon. And I kept trying to figure out, what's the secret? I mean, he had six kids, Great Depression, World War II. Everybody stayed together. You stayed married. What was the secret? And she said, there's no secret. I said, okay, all right, let's start on Sunday. Walk me through a normal week. You know, by then, everybody's grown and out on their own. But I said, what was a normal week? And she said, well, on Sunday, everybody get up. We do chores together, you know, I mean, go out, you know, take care of the cows, take care of the chickens. We'd come in, we'd have a big breakfast, we'd go to church on Sunday. She said, then we'd come back, we'd have lunch together, and then we'd do our chores, and the kids would get ready. And, and from her house, you could see the one-room schoolhouse. It was literally just across the lane, just a little gravel road. And she said the kids would go to school. When, and then after, because there was one big table in, in her house, and she said after they'd come home from school, we'd get a snack and then they'd go do their chores together. Then they'd do their homework together. And then at night, because the house was really small, we really did say, you know, good night. You know, John Boy, Mary Ellen, good night, Elizabeth. She said, we really did do that because we just didn't have a lot of space. Before she got to Wednesday, I knew the secret that made her family survive the Great Depression and World War II. And everybody stayed married and everybody stayed together because the secret, together, together. So here you have megastars, Lucy and Ricky, all the stuff, but they didn't do life together. The more popular they got, his career went this way, her career, they did the TV show together, but he was still famous and popular, she was famous and popular, and, and the more they had, the less they did together. And then you have on the other side of the country, literally in a tiny little town, in a little shack of a house, some people who said, we don't have much but we have each other. We don't have a lot, but we have each other. And they had a strong faith in God. I'll never forget that conversation because she said, you know, the TV show made it look like we always got along and we didn't. But she said we were committed that we would get through it together. That was her secret. And so I want to talk to you this morning about train wrecks, roommates, and real relationships. Because all of us are in a relationship at some level, either in a marriage, we're in a family relationship, you have brothers and sisters, you have relationships with people at work, you have relationships with your neighbors. And so to learn some secrets about relationships as we take a look at it. First, when I define a train wreck, a train wreck is, is just basically a problem that's about to happen. And, and I've got some illustrations I think are perfect. These are actual lyrics from actual country songs, all right, to be able to illustrate so as I read this, I want you to think, is that a train wreck kind of relationship? Is that a roommate kind of relationship? Or is it a real relationship? I mean, here's one. I just bought a car. These are actual lyrics. I know the CMAs were this week, actual lyrics. I just bought a car from a guy that stole my girl, but the car don't run, so I figure we're even. <laughs> I still miss you, baby, but my aim is getting better. I mean, that's a true song right there. 
I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'd be afraid she'd win. <laughs> if I had shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. <laughs> uh, my wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. One more. She's looking better after every beer. I mean, you know, when you think about... These different country songs illustrate, what would you say, real relationships or train wrecks? What do you think? Train wrecks. You know, there's an old rock and roll song. You know, hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? I mean, it's just based on chemistry. It's not based on anything else. It's just based on, you know, I like what I see. Let's do this thing. Instead of, we should sit and chat. Years ago, a friend of mine flew to Orlando, Neil Clark Warren. He said, Dwight, I've got a proposition for you. It's 1996, almost 1997. It was November. And he said, I've got a proposition for you. He said, man, we've worked together on radio for years. I used to host a radio talk show, a counseling talk show. And he said, I've got an idea for an online. Remember, the Internet was just invented by Al Gore in 1995. So in 1996, (laughs) this was like brand new stuff, man. He said, I have a proposition for you. He said, I'm going to take the Myers-Briggs type indicator and I'm going to convert that over into a relationship uh, profile that we're going to put onto the Internet. And I said, hold, hold the phone, hold the phone, Neil. Are you going to do computer dating? He said, yeah, we're going to call it eHarmony, and I want you to help me launch it. I said, Neil, that's never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. I mean, you're a psychiatrist, but eHarmony's never going to work. And he said, I want you to be a partner. He said, I want you to, you know, to, to move out to Pasadena. We'll build this thing together. He said, I think it's going to be big. I said, Neil, you're a really good psychologist. I mean, I'll give you a job if you need work. I really, I like you. I respect you. You've got good ideas. But an online dating service called eHarmony, it's never going to get any traction, man. It's not going to, well, a- anyway, last year, 2011, one in eight people in the United States met and married because of eHarmony.com. Neil, of course, retired years ago. The company makes about $20 million a year. So basically, if it's a Saturday night and you need six numbers, don't call me because I cannot pick them. (laughs) eHarmony is never going to make it. Well, but the concept behind eHarmony is this isn't based on chemistry. This is based on what's real. Remember I said train wrecks? roommate's real relationship. A real relationship will go the distance because a real relationship is built on some variables. It's built on some principles. It's built on some dynamics that last. There is no better example of that than in the Bible. God builds his whole system because I don't know your story, but I know this. Remember, history is his story, and God has a story for each of us. And so when you think about relationships, think about your family like a quilt Remember quilts? Any of you remember quilts? When my wife and I got married, a lady gave us a quilt, and we didn't even realize what it was worth, but a homemade quilt, and, and she, would put, she put thought into different colors and different patterns, and that was the gift. There's a lady uh, who's long since gone to heaven, but in, in Sheila's church where she grew up, this lady would make these quilts, and it was kind of like her prayer for that couple. Wow. Well, when you think about relationships, it's easy sometimes to think, Man, my life's pretty screwed up. I don't even think I should even be in a church service hearing about relationships. And I want you to know that that is absolutely wrong thinking. That is not how God sees it. 
Because when you go back to the beginning, you know, in the beginning, in Genesis, the first book, I mean, proving that God's a baseball fan, you know, the first words, in the beginning, I mean, right there, God builds his whole system on one huge dysfunctional family, Abraham, Isaac, and specifically, I'm thinking about Jacob. God builds his whole system on a guy, get this, that had four wives. Four wives. I mean, man. And God builds his whole system. So if you think, man, I've got a pass. I don't think that, that God could forgive. Well, hold the phone. God builds the whole system on this big, dysfunctional family. I mean, the, the entire you know, biblical pattern after that. We're following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, one daughter, through these different, four, four different wives, and it's the 12 tribes of Israel. God builds his whole system on a guy that had a lot of dysfunctional relationships. If you read back in, in the book of uh, Genesis, you'll see that his favorite, I mean, four wives, his favorite, hands down, her name is Rachel. And Rachel's a train wreck relationship. She's the youngest sister. She's immature. She's stunningly beautiful. And he is, when he sees her, the day he sees her, she's the first person he meets in the new town. He is smitten, just like Ricky and, I mean, just like Desi and Lucy, smitten. Complete chemistry with Rachel. But Rachel, Genesis teaches us she's into idolatry. She's selfish. She's petty. She's competitive. She's the prettier sister for sure, but... Man, she's got a mean streak. And when I think about a mean streak, I mean, here are some of the things. How, do, how can you tell if you're in a relationship with somebody that has a mean streak? The last, here's what they say. The last thing I want to do is hurt you, but it's still on my list. I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was blaming you. If I agreed with you, we'd both be wrong. And, and then one more. I thought this one was really great. I, I just looked up bumper stickers. It said, never hit a man with glasses. Hit him with a baseball bat. I mean, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody who's selfish and petty. I mean, they're, they're just, they have a mean streak. But Jacob also had, you know, a, a couple of uh, other wives, uh, Billa and Zilpha. They each gave him two sons. And then he had a real relationship. He had a real relationship with a woman named Leah. She gave him seven children, six sons, one daughter. And I base that because if you go to Israel today, you can see in Bethlehem, there is a, a, literally a, 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 like a, a mosque or a mausoleum type, and it's Rachel's tomb. And if you go to Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is dying, he tells his son Joseph, listen. And he gives a blessing to each of his kids, which is a fantastic Jewish tradition. You know, if you know that you've got a little time to say to each of your sons and daughters to give them a blessing. Because many people, maybe even in this room, you never got the blessing from your parents. I had teenage parents. They had me out of wedlock. They ran away to Orlando to get away from the shame of small-town America. But man, did they love me, and every day of my life, they gave me the blessing. They gave me the blessing. Every day of my life. This morning, I got a text early because my mom is a grandma who knows how to text, and she told me she was praying for me. My mom and daddy do that every morning. They gave me the blessing. So I feel really bad for some people that didn't have an interesting birth and who didn't get the blessing, because I'm telling you, if you have the blessing, you don't have to worry about self-esteem because it's already secure. If you don't get the blessing, you may spend the rest of your life jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship 
trying to find the blessing. Maybe that guy will be able to meet my needs. Maybe that girl is somebody who will be able to fill up this big cavern of emptiness inside. So Jacob has four wives, but Leah, when he's on his deathbed, he says to Joseph, listen, make sure I'm buried with Leah. That's Joseph's stepmom. But he said, that's the one who was always there. That's the one we built a life together. Bury me with Leah. And to this day, you can go and you can see, that's where he said, that's the one. That's a real relationship. Was it always chemistry? Nope. But it was real. A real relationship is defined by somebody who'll tell you the truth. And when you think about the relationship that you're in right now, one of the ways to tell that it's true, one of the ways to tell that it's real, one of the ways to tell that it's strong is that somebody is able to, is, they're just able to tell you the truth. I mean, basically, Sydney, if you're in a real relationship and somebody walks out and says, does this outfit make my butt look fat? They'll tell you. I know that there are some guys here saying, you know, if, if I did that, I'd sleep in the car. I've slept in a car before. But now I have a basic philosophy for life. It's real simple. If you have to ask, listen, here is maybe the most important thing you learned today. If you have to ask if these pants make your butt look big, they do. If you have to ask, if you have to ask, it does, right? It's like when I was in college, I would have guys that would have literally, because I'm, I'm kind of a neatnik, but I would see guys and they would have three piles of clothes in their dorm. And they would have one pile of clothes that were clean, you know, usually in a laundry basket, and they would have one pile of clothes that were really dirty. And then they would have one pile of clothes and they would they'd pull it up and they'd sniff it to see if it was clean. Okay, if you have to sniff it to see if it's clean, it's not. <laughs> I mean, basic principles, you only get here at Heritage Community Church. If, if, if you're in a real relationship and somebody says, you know what, I think you need a tic-tac, your breath stinks. In a real relationship, somebody says, you know what, it's the middle of the night, what are you doing on the computer, what are you doing? In a real relationship, people ask you questions. Wait a minute, we said we're going to live on a budget like Dave Ramsey, and we said we wouldn't spend money and you just spent some money, what the heck is going on? In a real relationship, people ask questions, people talk. People aren't afraid, get this, to tell you the truth. And the truth is, pretty much, we all have problems. The truth is that we all need to change. In fact, turn to somebody next to you and say, you need to change. Because some of you have been waiting to do this a long time. Try it, just do it. You need to change. <laughs> Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good. Now, when I think about people who need to change and people that, that love you enough and care about you enough to tell you the truth, there's a great story. Lady Astor in England, this is after World War II, she's dealing with Winston Churchill, who by then is just a beloved figure in Great Britain. And she's mad about something, and she said, Winston, if I was your wife, I would poison your coffee. He says, Lady Astor, if I was your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> In a real relationship, somebody's telling you the truth. In a real relationship, they're able to point out some important principles. 
being able to say, you know, we said we'd start this marriage on biblical principles, and we haven't prayed together in a long time. You know, we said that we would not allow this issue with an extended family member to hurt our family, and we're doing it. What's going on? I'm blessed because I had teenage parents that ran away to Orlando. When I was three years old, through a man named Billy Graham, my father came to know Christ. My mom was already a believer, but felt pretty ashamed and embarrassed. My dad came to know Christ. They dedicated me to the Lord of the Billy Graham crusade. I guess it was the only time Billy came through Central Florida. But I do know if we said we're going to start a relationship on biblical values to say we should pray. We should make sure that we're in church. We should make sure that these biblical principles are part of our life. In a real relationship, people tell you the truth. People hold you accountable. And get this, people ask you hard questions. In a real relationship, people are not afraid to come into your life and ask you some questions. So here's a good thought this morning. Who comes into your life and asks you the hard questions? If you're in a real relationship, somebody will do that. If you're in kind of a, a train wreck kind of relationship, people usually are afraid to ask questions. I mean, I've, I've been a counselor almost 30 years. I've talked to guys who would say, you know, man, Dwight, I can't, I can't do what you're talking about, man. I mean, you talk about, you know, get real, tell people the truth. But, I mean, if the date's going pretty good, <laughs> and I've got, you know, I've got my eyes on the prize. I know what happens. You know, we're going, going, going to dinner, going to the movies. I mean, I've, I know what's happening. But if I just bring up those subjects, it's going to kill the romance. Yep. Yep. But if you let a relationship only be built on romance, ask Brad and Jennifer, whose marriage cost over $5 million to produce, or whose wedding and the marriage lasted about five years. Why? Because if it's just built on chemistry, if it's just built on romance, it's unsustainable. It has to be built on something else, something deeper, something that will last. The best example, hands down, if I said, you know, God built a system on a dysfunctional family, Jacob, four wives, which, I mean, think about it. How many people do you know today that have been through four relationships? I mean, b besides your sister. I mean, I know that there are some people, you know, you have a family member that can literally walk into a place. You know, it's just like, it's just like radar. And they can find the most dysfunctional train wreck person in that room. Ah! But most people, most people haven't had four big relationships like Jacob. And yet, in the book of John, there's a woman who was married and divorced five times. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes people, especially from a religious background, they'll beat up on people who've had a lot of relationship failures. And I want you to know, Jesus never does that. Ever. Never. Never, ever. He just loves them. He just loves them, but he always asks hard questions, and he always tells them the truth. In John chapter 4, there's a woman who'd been married and divorced five times, which is kind of an overachiever today when you think about it. <laughs> but 2,000 years ago, that would be the equivalent of having been married roughly 100 times. I mean, it just it wasn't done. It just wasn't done. So here's a woman. Jesus is sitting at a well. His disciples go to get some food. He's sitting at a well. 
And this woman comes up and, he's, and she says, do you have anything to drink? And he says, no, why don't you give me something to drink? And, and they have a conversation because that's what Jesus does. He starts a conversation with people. He never judges them, never beats them up, but he does ask good questions. And so he goes through, this is in John chapter 4, verse 13, they have a conversation about water and he picks it up and he says, everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will be in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. And she said, sir, I want water like that so I'll never feel thirsty again. Who wouldn't want living water? Who wouldn't want to have the emptiness inside because here's a woman, here's a woman who had a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. She'd been married and divorced five times, was living with a guy. We find out later in John chapter 4. And so it's real simple. You can look at her life psychologically and see she was trying to get the emptiness inside met with, you know, what I call the BBD, bigger, better deal. I mean, it's like, you know, there, there's got to be, there's got to be another guy. Okay, this one didn't work out. This one didn't work out, but maybe the next one will. Well, the good news is the next one did. His name was Jesus. Jesus came into her life, and he said, if you want real living water that fills the emptiness inside, let me tell you about a real relationship that will do that. I'm sure that she had had train wrecks, married and divorced five times, in a culture where divorce wasn't even really allowed or permissible. I'm sure she'd had the roommates. She was living with one, you know, just trying to pay the bills. And Jesus talked to her about a real relationship. And, and so that makes me think about, you know, for us. My wife and I have been married 28 years. There have been really rough times. Welcome to being human. Because if you take two flawed humans, two selfish people, and you put them into a relationship, it, listen to me, it can't work for long. I can remember where I was standing when I first met her. I remember what she looked like. She was 17 years old. I mean, I, I could hear the sounds of Dancing Queen playing on my 8-track in my, in my Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. I mean, she was the dancing queen, only 17. I mean, I could hear that in the, in the back of my head. But I remember meeting her, her first day of college. She was a freshman. It was freshman orientation. I was one of the sophisticated upperclassmen. That's a fancy way of saying I heard that all, you know, it was a, if you would go and give tours to the new college freshmen, to me it was, you know, I could, I could check out the new crop. I mean, you just find out, you know, I mean, let's see how it's going, you know, see what's happening here. Met her her first day, asked her out the first day I met her smitten still am that girl drives me crazy sometimes emphasis on crazy and it's a short drive <laughs> if it were not for our faith if it were not for something called covenant relationship because you see my promise to her think like velcro it couldn't stick two selfish people can't make it work but if you have something called covenant relationship, which means my promise wasn't to her. Yes, I made a promise to her. Yes, proving. I mean, I should have gotten a premonition about what our relationship was going to be like together because all summer long, the summer that we got married, 
I mean, she went home the first day that we met. I thought I had a date. She went home and told her mama, I met the guy I'm going to marry. Thank God she didn't tell me that for a few years or I would have run for the hills. But the day that we got married, I'd saved money all summer, worked an extra job so I could get a horse-drawn carriage because this was in the time of Lady Diana. Remember Lady Diana? She was into storybook, right? And she was behind a horse-drawn carriage. And so I got a horse-drawn carriage, the Rosie O'Grady, good time, horse-drawn carriage, a team of horses, an open carriage for our August 3rd wedding in the middle of the afternoon. Not really thinking ahead, having worked all summer to pay the $500 to have the police escort because we were going to be on a highway riding from the church to the reception hall. Um, Do you know what happens in August in the afternoon frequently here in Florida? Oh, it rains. Do you know what a team of horses in the rain smell like when you're behind them? And that should have been a premonition. Our marriage is starting being flooded, rained on in a carriage. And later, some of my friends said, you could have gotten a limousine for half that money and not gotten wet. You know, I didn't think about that. I was smitten. If you build your relationship on chemistry, we would have lasted a couple of years because we irritated each other. I mean, the morning that we got back from our honeymoon, I was was feeling like the luckiest man in, in, in the world. I mean, I'm, I woke up earlier than her because I tend to be an early riser. Here we are, you know, in our, you know, in, in, in our new apartment, first apartment together. And I kind of wake up and I just roll over and I'm just looking at her and kind of praying and thanking God. Here's this amazing woman, this beautiful woman. And I'm married to her and I'm just thinking, man, this is great. And, and I guess I stirred and she woke up a little bit and she said, what are you doing? I said, baby, I'm just praying for you. I'm so happy. And, and, and to be honest, I'm kind of hungry. I mean, her parents, my parents, all of our friends had surprised us when we got back from our honeymoon. They were at the apartment. They had fully stocked the fridge, the freezer. I mean, they had just done like this whole housewarming thing. It was fantastic. It was really, really cool. And so I knew that there was food falling out of the pantry. I mean, we were stocked up. But I said, baby, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And and I knew that her mama always still does. Good 1950s woman. And that's part of the deal, right? Good 1950s woman. She always got up and had homemade biscuits, not that stuff from a can. Homemade biscuits from scratch for her man. She had country ham or bacon. So when he woke up, he woke up to the smell of bacon and biscuits. Yeah. And I thought, here's this beautiful girl who who will, of course, make me breakfast. <laughs> I didn't get the memo, you see. I said, I didn't get the memo. Because I said, baby, I'm, 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 I've been praying for you, but I'm kind of hungry. And, and she said, well, the pantry's full. I mean, go fix something. And, and in fact, I'll take an omelet. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. You are the wife. I told you I've slept in a car before. Mosquitoes will flat eat you up, but I, I was too cheap to pay for a hotel room, but we've had some big fights. And, and I said, well, you were the wife. You should get up and fix me breakfast. I am the man. <laughs> and she, she said, I've got to go to work tomorrow, and I'm going to sleep and, and, and just, you know, just go get some Cheerios or something. But if you're not going to fix me something, leave me alone. I want to sleep. 
And I realized at that point, Pastor Sidney, I had married the wrong woman. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 this is bad. Selfish, get, get this, selfish people do selfish things. That's all we can do. But if you build it on, I made a promise not just to her. I made a promise to God and her. That's why we're still married decades later. If you take God out, I don't think it'll last for long because selfishness gets in the way. If you just build it on romance and chemistry, it's a bigger fire. And maybe sometimes people will stand to watch a big fire burn, but it's not going to last because chemistry can't. Chemistry dies down. It's a psychological phenomenon. If it's just roommates, it's not going to go the distance because there's nothing to hold people together. God designed love. God designed that part of our brain. God designed sexuality. And God said this is good. But if you take God out, that's why Jesus at the well didn't say, let me introduce you to one of the disciples who's single. He's a really good Christian guy. Nope, didn't even bring it up. Jesus said, let me show you and let me share with you living water. I want that water, she said. He said, oh, good, because I am the water of life. That's what makes relationships work. That's what makes them go the distance. My wife and I are almost at the point of an empty nest. Both kids will be away at college next year, which just means at this point I'm waiting for the dog to die. Because <laughs> life begins when the kids leave home and the dog dies, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to poison the dog. I love the dog. Dog sleeps at the foot of our bed. I'm a dog lover. I'm big on dogs. I mean, it's not like a friend of mine out in Nebraska. He really did this. Said his, when the last one went away to college just a few months ago, he put the dog on Craigslist, gave away the dog. Wow. I couldn't even understand that. I could understand that if it was a cat, but, I mean, who could give away a dog? I mean, all my relatives up in Kentucky, I mean, you, you could tell if a guy was a real macho man because he was in the pickup. His dog was next to him in the pickup. Wife and kids in the back of the pickup. I mean, that's, you know, that's a dog lover. That dog will watch out for you. That dog will care for you. A relationship, a relationship like ours couldn't have worked if we didn't have our primary relationship with Christ. I think the same is true for you. If you take God out, the best you can hope for is a really fun ride until the train crashes. Roommates may stay together, but there's no spark there. And, and God designed marriage to be something that's so vibrant that people say, there's no way they can make this work, and that that marriage relationship points to something bigger. So think about in your own life today. Is your relationship a train wreck? Do people come just just to watch it burn. You know, they come, to, they come to your house for Thanksgiving just because they want to see the fight. I mean, you know, it's better than what's on cable. <laughs> and Thanksgiving's coming. Or are you in a roommate relationship and it's like, you know, the love left a long time ago. Are you in a real relationship? And in a real relationship, number one way that you know you're in one, somebody will tell you the truth. Number two way, they show respect even when they disagree with you. They'll, they'll talk to you about reality. They'll talk to you about respect. 
You know, it's amazing when somebody feels respected, when somebody knows that somebody's going to tell them the truth. The romance usually comes along because they've spent time together and they're in a real relationship. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for all of us. Can I pray, Pastor? So God, here we are, just a group of flawed human beings, problems and weaknesses and insecurities and fears. But God, with your help, we don't have to stay in a train wreck. We don't have to be Fred and Ethel. We don't have to just be roommates. We can have the kind of relationship that draws other people to what makes you guys tick. And we can say, well, let me tell you, let me tell you about Jesus. He is the real relationship that goes the distance, God. May you use today's lesson to change hearts, but most of all, use it to change mine. And I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.